0: We are here with Tim Timmerman, professor of art Welcome, at George professor. Fox University.
1: It is an honor. It is an honor <laughs> to be here. I have just admired your
0: podcast since since its uh, birth. Oh, come on, come <laughs> on! You have I, you were Tim was our first Instagram follower. We're yeah. so
2: excited to have him here Do because he also like makes many appearances in our departmental meetings because his artwork is on the walls. Oh yes, of here our, we go. Tim's an artist. Lounge. He's a beautiful artist.
0: Tim's art. a beautiful artist. Tim has had art. Across the United States, galleries, shows, Here we go. homes, internationally? You Offices, had, not well. Any art in Canada? No, Israel once, actually. On okay, oh, so, international. so internationally international So internationally. and nationally <laughs> <Once>. known artists. <laughs> it was
1: like a mail art show or something where you just send it through the mail. Do you know why something?
0: we actually wanted to, do you know what we want to talk to you about, though? I hope art comes up, but it's not art, actually. There
1: we go. Okay. But it's, uh, I believe we're talking about teaching. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: teaching. And Tim is, of course, not this past year, but the year before. The year before that was the Teacher of the Year at George Fox University. Out of
2: all the professors here at George Fox. There we go. Out
0: of everyone at our university, Tim Timmerman rose to the top. Or something.
1: (laughs) Or I paid someone off
0: or, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we just wanted to chat about teaching. I don't know, just just freewheeling. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. It can be anything that you want, like... Can can I start with a question of you guys? Because you guys Ooh. are very good about asking each other questions. Oh, yeah,
1: Okay. Yeah, yes. Okay. Oh, like, knows the vibe. He's got I know. The, oh, no. Okay. I want to know, like, <laughs> like, like most humbling or worst teaching moment in a classroom. I know <laughs> that's funny. Like <laughs> we
0: started we this episode each asking each other that, that. <laughs> that exact <laughs> question, but okay. I can think of more too. So okay, I will. Can you think of another? Okay, you go first. Um. Okay.
2: I mean, you know, I just
0: this is a mundane example, and it's not specific enough to be really funny. Um. But. I think my worst teaching moments are honestly when I'm just, I'm frustrated. I feel harried. I've just been running from thing to thing to thing. I haven't had time to think. And this happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'll often be in bigger settings. And I go into lecture and I'm just prancing around. And sometimes I'll get into what I think is a groove teaching. Yeah, And people maybe laugh at a joke or something, but I leave. And I just think to myself, there's this deep dread that comes over me. And maybe it's illegitimate dread, but I think sometimes it's real. It's like reality telling me, Brian... No one was transformed during that monkey show you just did. Right. Like that was just nothing. That it was about you. It was about me. It was just about talking. It was about prancing around. It's about the conveying of information, Mm -hmm. point A to point B. And you know, and I hate those kind of soulless moments. And those happen a lot. And those are embarrassing to me afterward. And those feel bad. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think anybody in their job, right? Like any, you don't have to be a professor. Like anybody in their job has those days. Yeah. Where it's like you're just You're just punching the clock. And I I don't know, there's this sense of teaching. Don't you feel this way, Tim? Like teaching, it's almost like sacred. Like it has to be something like mystical. And if it's not that, and I just, I love that, but I hate it when that doesn't happen. I don't know. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I think for me, sometimes it's, I don't know for you all, it's performative. Like I'm very glad that I actually did reader's theater and acting and such because Sometimes it's like I, I remember I was teaching a very early morning class, and a student said, My goodness, how do you, you know, just have such energy? And I said, I am acting
2: because yes, I do right. not
1: have that kind of energy in the morning. <laughs> but, but it's like I've got to because if I can't pull these 22 students with me, right? And because they're half asleep, then you know, what kind of teacher am
0: I? So, yeah, you know. do, do you have a routine you go through before you walk into the classroom, <laughs> like a little, like a mantra, a Abs- little method kind of?
1: Absolutely not. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's. It is. I run in and quickly try to get technology working, which is, a, I don't know, a very, um, uh, not soul crushing, but it's a very humbling endeavor. Like, well, this isn't working today, or I have no idea why you're not getting any sound today. Uh, <laughs> you know, such things. And, um and then quickly scrambling with the notes and hopefully I've looked over what I'm talking about. Do you wish day.
0: you could go back pre-technology? I mean, because you've taught been you a teacher for a couple of decades. Like you've I seen did. you've seen some changes. You saw the birth of email. You I saw did. these things.
2: I
1: did. I did slides when they were really slides. You
0: did slides. Oh, nice. I mean, I guess as an artist, you were always kind of showing slides, but do you think that technology has ultimately hurt us in the classroom or helped us?
1: That's a really good question. Um yes and no. The access everyone has to technology can be problematic. Of um, students double-checking you if you're giving information, which I've had a couple times, Mm. um, or distracted by. I mean, I have a rule. I say, you know, in this classroom, this is a sacred environment. This is a sacred maker space. Mm. So, specifically for the studio classes. So, I say you cannot use your technology even at break. You need to go outside and text mom that you're doing okay or whatever you need to do. Uh, And then in class, they have to ask my permission, like if they need to look up a picture of a butterfly because they're doing a butterfly. So, I mean, it's wonderful for the easy access to imagery uh, and such, but it also, part of that is just a burden because they're constantly distracted. Um, It, Yeah, I don't know. Leah?
2: Well, I have a question for you. It's sort of a follow-up question to that to the idea of like you know how you manage technology which is how okay so how you manage a an ideal teaching aesthetic because you are an artist so by that I mean so um, I've noticed that like I try to because I'm selling, like I'm, I'm, I'm selling like the history of ideas and why you should think this is important, right, you know, right. to students, which is like not typically something that they come into my class really wanting to know about. Right. So I do my, I like that Brian used the word prancing because I do my little song and dance. <laughs> I'm up there like, ta-da. Doesn't it feel like that? Oh, totally. I used the metaphor of a, um a uh, ringmaster, you know, in a circus. Yes. Um, but one of the things, like, sometimes that goes well. Like, sometimes I'm able to, you know, explain, like, this is what the early modern period was like. But then sometimes my own, like, visuals get in the way of, you know, mm-hmm. like, explain, like, when I was um, expecting my first son, like, I taught all the way up until, like, the end, and my stu- it was so distracting to my students like just my very presence <laughs> oh my <laughs> because i'm like like walking all weird and everything anyway so i was thinking like how do you develop like as an artist do you think about that like developing a teaching aesthetic like maybe it's what you show maybe it's like how you are in your own person mm-hmm. like the the like setup of the classroom i'm curious about that
1: sure um a couple things come to mind one is uh, i can be kind of playful specifically in a studio class and um because I have conceptual issues I'm trying to get them to wrestle with, be it we're taking these concepts of African art and poetry and mushing this into learning something about casting glass or something. Oh, wow. So so there's a technical aspect conceptual. But on top of that, I'm often demoing. So one thing I'll often do in a demo if they're not paying attention is I'll start doing voices. In order to and so I'll demo in a whole accent or whatever and just because they totally are
0: watching what me. What do students like? What what accent do they tend to enjoy well, you a know, lot? Uh, oh golly, I, I do didn't you, mean like, do you uh, like a British. I act. didn't
1: mean to go here, but a recent one has been Irish.
2: Oh my because god, because I, w-
1: I went to Ireland for a residency <laughs> for like you know th- for three weeks and they're really good people and even I told them at the time I'm starting to talk like you. So right. this or you know I have an old woman I do or whatever. It just kind of. um Gets the classroom relaxed, turns them a bit to pay attention, focus, mm-hmm. laugh, have a good time. A, a thought that came to mind is something you said earlier. Um, one, when you were saying your pregnancy, yeah, yeah. I totally lost my voice for about two weeks, in, oh. and but but still could teach. I just couldn't speak. So I would put up a Word document and type everything out to the students. And it was odd. It freaked them out. Like because wow. they were like, this is the weirdest thing. And I'm typing, Why is why is this weird to you? Yeah. Like I'm still here. I'm just answering. Did you your have like questions. the
0: computer voice saying the words? Like <laughs> Oh yeah. Like That'd Hello, thank you everyone for coming. Like
1: how. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> my teachers, how <Hal. laughs>
2: yeah. ah!
0: there we go. I've had that happen as well though. Mm. I've lost my voice and people were very freaked out just hearing my voice not coming out of my mouth like yeah. my voice. Like it
2: usually does. Yeah. yeah. If you make these weird things, because I think the students get some sort of, like, you become this icon in their minds, Mm -hmm. especially the ones who, like, become they take more than one class from you right. and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. then when you change one thing they're just like Ugh, what are you what, what are you, you doing this is different Yeah.
0: what do you think tim about this idea of the teacher at any level as being a kind of like a screen onto which people project things we were talking about that earlier yeah, just I have the, students done that the ways too. that that plays out you know the way that students you know they'll see like their best qualities in you and then suddenly it's like you're perfect or they'll see like things they hate and they're you know like d- does that like happen when they're to you seniors
2: yeah.
1: sure or, or um or they see dad or whomever oh, mom. right yeah, yeah yeah I mean I think uh I try to uh, pull the legs out underneath that pretty quickly mm. in terms of I'm pretty honest about me uh so that they get me I tr- uh not necessarily what they think I am um because I teach a majority of at least half, if not more, of my classes are art practice classes. So we're creating, we're making. There's a lot of interaction. It isn't me up front mm-hmm. in kind of a more of a performative or um, aspect. But, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts on that.
2: No, that's great. I'm just thinking how, you know, because a lot of what I end up doing, and I think you do this as well, Brian, is is the more traditional lecture just because you have like a certain amount of time to get a certain I, amount of information, right. but I wonder how that would change if I if if I were to incorporate some more like practical oriented things into the classroom. I wonder how that would change things for the students.
0: Right. Well, I, and I realize even as you say that, Leah, how much I in my in my lecture mode, which I probably don't do as much lecturing as people think I do, but I I do in certain settings. I do. Well, you and kind
2: of have to if you're doing a survey. Yeah, course. absolutely. Right.
0: And I think I become very comfortable with this idea that. I'll put out like this image of myself and I just let people deal with that, you sure. know? And then it doesn't sure. have to be really me. I don't know. It sounds terrible. Like I'm lying or something when I teach and I don't feel like that, but almost like more like the acting thing, right. like you say, like yeah. you're trying to keep people engaged, right. but there's a distance then that that's put, especially when you have a big crowd. Right. What frustrated me, I remember in, in my, when I
1: taught art history all the time, art history, I always got the highest ranks of any of my classes in terms of ratings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh. But honestly, it was the least participatory on the student part. Because it was me up there, you know, showing slides, talking about art, getting them passionate about, you know, the Romanesque era or, you know, Mm -hmm. whichever era of art we're on or artist. And um, I actually was a little frustrated with that because I felt like it was relying on my acting ability or my ability to kind of work a crowd Mm -hmm. rather than, are you really learning? Like, I hope you
0: are. That's what I was saying before when you asked about a bad experience. I was trying to say an experience like that where you feel like I know I'm doing this thing. And it happens, but what's really happening here? Yeah, yeah, you know. And I think that that's anyway. Yeah, I was thinking.
1: I had another art historian come in when I early started teaching. When we were when we were talking about bad experiences, who um, who I didn't realize I had been pronouncing all these names wrong. So Titian, which is a Renaissance artist, <laughs> I was calling Titan. <laughs> And I forgot all the other oh. artists. I was mispronouncing. Yeah. Like, Cometti
0: was Gio Cometti <laughs> right, or something. Right. Yeah. And so he's <laughs> Those are hard like, names,
1: actually. Veronese, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Veronese. Uh And so he made all these corrections. And also he pointed out, I say um all the time. And I realized I've already said my word lately. I'm noticing I say which is right all oh. the time. Um, so I actually watched back that faculty lecture, and I went, oh, man, I said right like 20 times. Oh, the, right. le- the lecture you gave right. to receive the Teacher right. of the, the Teacher Year of award, the year, yes, which is the, the lecture
0: m- that comes with that.
1: Which is the most terrifying act I feel like I've ever really? done. Really? Oh, yes. Why? It's wow. terrible.
2: Well, You look super comfortable. Well,
1: because you have all your colleagues that you respect and care about and feel are just as good, if not much better, teachers than you sitting behind you, and you're, then you're in front of all these students. Oh. You're in the goofy like Harry Potter robe or Costume we wear as, you know wearing graduation we gown. gown regalia. Yeah. yeah, so
0: we're in our little regalia, and um, it's a very formal event. Picture like is. a room packed with like a fifteen hundred people yeah. and a faculty in their regalia sitting yeah. on stage behind the speaker. And we're all right.
2: watching, right? Tim.
1: And they're all right there. And luckily, a very good team of friends were sitting right in the front. But I told him, I talked to uh, Robin, our president going up. I'm like, "How do you do this, Rob?" And because he does it all the time, and is very kind of non-pulsed as he talks about whatever, yeah. right? And I had to coach myself. I've, I'm usually pretty good because I've spoken in chapel before. I've spoken to groups. But I sat in front of everybody and I'm like, I, oh, my gosh, I'm terrified. And the, like, I don't know, adult self, another part of me just was like, Timmerman, you wanted this. Be, be honest. <laughs> you wanted you this. Wanted I love this. that pep talk. Like, be yeah. honest. Stop being a baby yeah. and get up there and do what you're supposed to be doing. Like, shut up. And so I'm like – okay, let's do this. So oh so, you, my so, so you
0: went up and you did it. Well, yeah. you know, hearing how terrifying that is, Phil's, it's lucky for some of us that we'll never, we'll never be <laughs> teacher of the year and <laughs> we'll never have that. to do you that. I'll speak for that. myself. Um, where do you, just out of left field, another yeah. teaching question. No good. Uh, if you were to consider on a spectrum, like two sides, like on the one side, teaching is about nurturing. It's about people feeling like they belong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, teaching is about disturbing people, wrecking people, kicking their legs out. Where do you think where do you think your own teaching style kind of falls, or how do you negotiate those things? I
1: I think I'm a little disarming for students. Like I've had students say to me, "I can't believe I got a C in this class. You're so nice." Oh, or I can't believe I failed this class. Like you're nice, and I'm like, "Look, I like you as a person. You did terrible work." And so, that is so funny. So that so
2: you're the both well, and
1: yeah. And so I um oh gosh, I remember the student coming out to me, showing me a piece of work, and she's like, "What do you think?" And I said, "Well," and I started talking about things and. Um, I said, look, your colors are ugly. Like, this this turquoise color does not go with mustard. It's like, I still remember the color. And I'm like, <laughs> this is terrible. So, then that student left, and then another student came back, and they said, that student's crying in the room oh next my door. And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to make the student cry. But I think I have a tendency to be very um, frank with students, but also and uh light or whatever when i talk to them but um i'm thinking of another student i made cry when i said their artwork was cliche because they kept using like either a heart or a coffee cup oh. and i'm like look this is super cliche i wonder i understand you want to use this but you've used this before and so i don't i don't want to sell them short so i tend to be really frank but also i'm very friendly or mm-hmm. i was thinking about i had um Uh, I've had this several times. I haven't had this happen in years, but I've had students come to me and, like, argue with me over a piece. Like, look, you know, this is is a B or this is an A. Why did you do this? And I'm like, look, this is not this is not a quality work and they're like you gave me i'm like no you gave me you work earned. right yeah. you gave me work that's a c it did not meet these tenets of the assignment or whatever mm. and then they argue with me and that no it's really a b or, e or really an a and then as they leave the room they throw the piece away <gasps> it is i've had that happen several times really Whoa. yes and i'm wow. like look you knew it was a c or you knew it was a d you know that's not good work you threw that Damn. thing away you weren't like i'm going to share i'm going to put this on my wall like no so all that to say i think I um I think I disarm them a bit now. Who knows? Students could be listening to right now and go, "That is not true." <laughs> Tim is whatever, but uh, yeah. I in that I I'm very cheery, accessible, and as I've said to students, like, look, I like you and whatever. I this is still a bad project, or
2: well, you're like the subject matter that you're teaching. I feel like comes with its own set of challenges because very few people in my like in historian world, you really have to like. Be a highly specialized, studier of it, like graduate mm-hmm. school, like PhD mm-hmm. work, before you start to feel like this is a part of me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that about my dissertation and now book, but um, I didn't really feel like that when I was taking random history courses. But I would imagine every student who comes into an art class is like I'm giving you my soul, and so it's like right. you're great giving my soul yeah. a seat. I was know? just gonna
0: ask about that. Yeah. Like, I think this is something that anybody could really learn from, whether no matter what you do, what your craft is, whether you're an artist or even for aspiring podcasters, anybody right. out there to just think how to handle criticism in a creative enterprise. Yeah,
2: how do you like talk about
0: that? that? How do you talk with students about handling criticism? I mean, I'm sure there are just obvious things like you just got to deal with it. This is you know you've got to fail a lot, but I don't know. Talk more about that. What's how do you how do you teach people how to handle criticism?
1: I think part of it is you have to start the whole making art idea or creating a podcast or singing a song or putting out a television show, right? I I tell students I really think making art, being writing a book, is an arrogant act because mm. what I'm asking mm. for is people's time. I'm saying the quality of what I'm doing is worth your time. Wow. So I said, you've got to make work that's worth my time. Like oh. I've got to come in and there's something about that piece that I look at and go – I wanna spend time with that. And then I'm gonna be interested in your message, your concepts, your ideas, right? But Mm -hmm. there's gotta the work itself has to be engaging enough that it pulls me in. And so I th- – and, you know, I, I don't know if that's your experience too with podcast, book, whatever. There's been plenty of books that I've gotten halfway through, and then I've chucked going, this is not worth my time. Right.
0: Right, like you felt yeah. disrespected almost by the, <laughs> yes. the artist, the creator there. Yes,
1: like, or podcast that you're like, stop. I mean, hopefully no one's yeah. done that yeah. right yeah. now. As but, people you know. are hitting the <laughs> yeah, right. stop
2: button uh, on uh, right now. <laughs> As an artist, I have a question for you. So um, I remember hearing this, this analogy made to, um, like, musicians. So there are people like um, – Beethoven, who didn't create a ton of work, but the work that he creates is like masterpiece level. And yeah. then there are people like Bach, who apparently, legend has it, would wake up every day and write a piece of music. God um, bless him. And both of them are like masters of their craft. Yeah. Um. But they have different styles of working. How would you rate your... I mean, like, where would you put yourself as an artist? Are you like the everyday do stuff? Or are you the wait till I'm inspired... Yeah,
1: I think um I'm thinking of like um Melissa Gilbert's book Big Magic, right? I don't know if either of you guys have booked no, no, around that book. Really it. wonderful book. But the idea of you've gotta keep taking care of the muse is some of her kind of her thinking. And also it ties into like Madeline Angle's Walking on Water, a variety of those oh, books. Like I think you need to kind of keep showing up in the studio. Like even you guys have <laughs> felt the same with your podcast where sure, like sure. keep showing up or keep writing. You have to keep showing up and then the muse starts taking over ideas like i've had plenty of ideas i want to say i haven't tended to that then have just disappeared because i didn't Mm -hmm. take care of them or do them Mm -hmm. um so to whatever degree I can, and as both you guys know, as educators, I mean, we have seasons that we can really work, like summer on our art practice or writing practice or whatever that is, and then seasons where really we just need to tend to these, you know, 20-year-olds we've been given to take care of. Right. Um, or, or, you know, or children or whatever <laughs> yeah. at the time, right? So, um, for me, I have to keep drawing. I have to keep working. So, one thing I did actually, I came in at Fox as the department chair in what was then the art department, and I told myself— you know, as any administrative type position, there's lots of meetings. Brian, you and I were talking about that initially, here, right? There's ton- tons
0: of meetings, so I would always. Bring we were us- talking about meetings before we came on the air. Yes, okay. yes. Pre meeting was not recorded and we shall were, never we're be repeated. A what I was pre-meeting. in the pre meeting yeah. previously <laughs> yeah. on the show. Yeah. Dot
1: dot dot. So, but I intentionally thought I'm going to bring my sketchbook and I'm going to draw in in meetings yeah. oh, because cool. I it's something I can listen, take notes, and draw, mm-hmm. and um, to in in terms of I wanted – if someone said, what are you, I could say I'm an artist and an art professor and this – and not like, I'm an art professor and if I have a chance, I'll make something. Right. You know? right. So I feel like you have to keep at the practice. And the nice thing is it became established that, oh, Tim draws in meetings rather than like, Tim, what are you doing type thing. So kind of keeping at it so that then when I got in the studio and could get messy or get in the shop and get messy – I uh, those ideas were already cooking around. It even motivated me to work smaller mm-hmm. and uh, even traveling. Oh, interesting. Traveling with students, I've done very small pieces where I gave myself an assignment. Like every day I'm making a piece of art just to keep at the craft. Because you you have to work with what you've got. Like um, what artist – I want to say it was um, an artist down in L.A. Um, – uh, anyway, I'm not going to remember the name, but um, he uh, was making these really small works at a time. And then people finally asked him, why are you working so small? And he's like, I just have my kitchen table to work on. Oh. So, so you work within the limits that you're given. And I think the best art comes out of parameters or giving obstructions to yourself to work in and thinking like, oh, man, I'll be a really good artist if I have a gigantic canvas to work on or if I could just make that movie, then I'm going to be a great artist right. where – Work with what you're given. Like, if it means you're just doing some goofy stuff on your phone. Wow. Or you're just sketching. I like that. You know, while you are you just nursed the baby and you set her down and now you're going to draw for a little bit or sew so, or, yeah. I don't know, or dance or whatever that may be. Work within the limitations you are and and that will keep growing your practice on what you do. And mm-hmm. actually, you may make better work as those little interesting things than you ever would have doing like a gigantic Picasso Guernica or something, you know. That's really
0: encouraging.
2: I love that. I. I can't think of anything better to to close off this yeah, conversation. Let's just let's
0: just let's just die happy. What you got. Right, there. right, everybody, I
1: love it. every both of you. I want you to go, I want you to get to work. I want you to work on some assemblage. Yep, yep. Leah, what do you do artistically? Uh, <laughs> talk to me. Little. Come on.
2: I seriously, I don't some scrapbooking. You do something. No. Oh, some I started like five scrapbooks that I've totally done. There you go.
1: Some interpretive dancing?
2: Um, no, you know, I used to sing. Did you? Yeah, years ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay, we'll all get back right. to it. I'll do it. Even just put on like who would you put on and I, sing along to or something?
2: Well, I sing my song or I sing my son a lullaby and mm. I Billy Joel. Mm. Yeah, that's great. But that's it. Oh, that's that's, all a, I got. that's an
1: even better place to close, right? <laughs>